the word of God says, "Lord, how many are they? Are, excuse me, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and He heard me out of His holy hill. Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awakened, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people and have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for You have smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon Your people. Let's pray. Lord, as we explore Your Word this morning and see Your answer to our worries and anxieties, I pray that Your Spirit would minister the truth of who You are as a resting place and what You do on behalf of those who wait upon You. Thank You for the gift of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in our place and gives us a permanent security in Him. And thank You that nothing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray this morning for our nation. We think of our leaders and those that rule over us. And we ask this morning, first of all, that they be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We ask, uh, secondly, Lord, that they would uh, govern with, with wisdom and not uh, go uh, beyond their boundaries and to um, uh, govern in the power of, of Your Spirit. We also pray for our local churches, and this morning we, uh, we, we thank You for uh, the churches where the Word of God is preached. And Lord, I think of the churches, churches in our area where the Word of God is not preached, but still read the Scriptures in their liturgies and rituals. And I ask this morning that you would take the Word of God as it is read and as it is, as it is spoken, and you would use it to do what you do. You would cause life to come from it. You, the one who spoke light out of darkness, would use the Word of God, and you would bring the power uh, that comes along with it into people's hearts. May you do that here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A baby's cry just sounds like any other baby cry, right? No. Actually, there's a Wall Street Journal article that says that new medical research is showing that each newborn's cry can signal a lot more than just if he or she's hungry or tired. There are, there are some subtle differences in cry characteristics, maybe some of you moms already know this, or can sense it, that they give important clues on how hospitals can even treat babies. Doctors at Brown University designed this computer program that would analyze a recorded baby cries. And the program breaks down into 12.5 millisecond frames here and measures cry factors like pitch and volume and voicing to refer to how clear the cry sound is. And one of the doctors in the article said this, We can start right at birth. The analysis of crying can tell you if there's something wrong with the baby's nervous system, even in the absence of routine signs on physical and neurological exams. 
And I'm able to tell even from the cries whether there's something that isn't quite right in the baby's nervous system. And they're hoping as they analyze these cries for newborns in the future, that might help them detect problems and, and, and get treatment earlier for some of these babies. Here. A cry indicates a problem, doesn't it? The Bible often reminds us that the, that the God of heaven hears the cries of our heart and He knows the exact conditions of our soul. In fact, we're, also, we're told in other places that God knows our prayer requests before we even ask. But He wants us to offer them. He wants to hear our cries. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I've experienced in my only 13 years of having kids here and five and, uh, 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 is, is that... Um, a baby's cry isn't a comforting sound. Not at all. It's not something that I look forward to hearing as soon as I doze off to sleep. It is a cry for help, whether that is a real problem or an imagined problem on the individual baby. But it indicates a problem, a recognized problem, one way or the other. But our God loves to hear our cries. Not our whining, but He loves to hear our cries for help. He's not like even us human fathers. He's beyond that. He's perfect. And today's psalm in our series, a Summer in the Psalm series, all about a cry from the soul. We worked through Psalm 1 a couple weeks ago and Psalm 2 at our get-together at the Marxes and Searsmont and today Psalm chapter 3. And please be patient with me here as we're, we're going to close out our discipleship series uh, next Sunday. But it's nice to fall back on the Psalms recently as well. And after uh, next Sunday when we finish the Discipleship Series here, uh, as a closeout challenge here to each one of us here, we'll spend the following Sundays till fallish here taking a Psalm a Sunday. A Psalm a Sunday in consecutive order each Sunday morning. I told you uh, uh, last time and the time before that the Psalms are actually broken down into five books. Um, uh, and the Psalms were written to show us how to live under the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Under, the, under His coming triumph over the serpent as they looked ahead to Jesus and under the blessing of His promised plan to Abraham. If you were to analyze and, 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 and uh, in one short sentence summarize the book of Psalms, I think very easily you could come up with this summary here. The Lord reigns. And because the Lord reigns, His people praise Him. Because the end of the book, Psalm 150, Psalm 150 tells us that the goal of every living thing in creation is to praise God. So these five books of the Psalms here, all compiled into one book here, they're a collection of Psalms arranged into themes. Each book mirrors themes of one of the books of the law. You know the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Chapters 1-41 through 41 of the book of Psalms mirrors the book of Genesis. The second book of the Psalms mirrors Exodus, Leviticus, etc. here. And I'm going to show you a truth in Genesis that this Psalm chapter 3 and book 1 draws upon in a few minutes here. But book 1... Chapters one through forty-one began with book one and two, or chapters one and two, which set the scene, gives us gives us an introduction for the whole book of Psalms about the two ways, the wise and the wicked, the blessing and joy of the wise, and the destruction of the wicked, the blessing and joy of the wise, which we see in the last Psalm one hundred and fifty. Praise with God. 
Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 many times may be read together. It's been suggested that Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. If you look in verse 5. And Psalm 4 is an evening psalm. So Psalm 3 is when you're looking at your day. And Psalm 4 is when you're ready to go to bed at night. You'll notice in the introduction there, um, at the top of your, your page of your Bible there, above under the chapter heading, Psalm 3, you'll notice it says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. A psalm from David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Uh, these titles here of the Psalms are, are in the ancient Hebrew text, and many people believe that they're part of the inspired uh, text here because we really don't know where they came from. Uh, we've never seen uh, a, a, a psalm without them. So they're probably uh, part of the uh, um, compiled books here as, they, as the, the Psalms are not written in a chronological order, but categorized. Categorized, with, as I said, books 1, 2, 3, and 4, and 5. This is a psalm of David. It's really the word song. And, and the idea here is, 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 is to make music, to turn your situation into a song. But I want to tell you, when it says a song of David, a psalm of David, and it's not talking about making lemonade out of lemons. You see, there's a category of psalms that's called laments. laments. And it's a song of grief. It's a song of grief. In our day and age, singing songs of grief are very a popular thing. And if we had a, a, a lament here, some of you say, well, we need to see something happy about Jesus. The Psalms give us the freedom, and give us the honesty, and give, give us the ability to be transparent. Transparent. Lament. You see, when the psalmist says it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son, He's talking about the events in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 17, which you could read sometime later, but I'll just summarize very quickly. David is at a low moment in his life. He's been king, he's had some high moments, but his very own son, who he loves, has brought leaders of the kingdom together to rebel against him and take his own life and push him out as king. I mean, it's one thing to be betrayed by someone you thought was a friend. It's another thing to be betrayed by your own flesh and blood, your son. And that's where David is in this time in his life. Um, and it's a little bit of the background. is because of David's sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. His life has been torn apart by some family trouble, some consequences that resulted from this. And he's been forgiven, but there's still consequences. He's faced it. And his kingdom is wrenched from his grasp by Absalom's rebellion. And the hearts of Israel are with, are with Absalom, 2 Samuel 15 verse 13 says. And this man who was anointed by the Lord and promised in 2 Samuel 7 that he will have, he will, his line will, be, will have a forever king who will come from him uh, is forced to flee Jerusalem and wait out this crisis here. And he's camped across the Jordan in 2 Samuel 17. And so this psalm is reflecting what's going on in Israel, but it's also reflecting what's going on in David's heart. We kind of have a weird relationship with feelings and emotions. Honestly. Um, Some of us either suppress or beat them down or look down on others when emotions are expressed and, you know, keep a stiff upper lip and encourage them just to be stoic, pretend they don't exist. Or the other extreme, we go wild with them, right? 
We let them be like an elephant that you're just riding along with at their mercy here. But the Psalms give us a third way. They give us an opportunity here to express our hearts to God and take them to Him. That's the difference. We don't need to suppress emotions. It's funny, um, uh, you know, when we sing or, or, or um, um, uh, when we hear the Word of God, uh, when our hearts are stirred, uh, we might have a, 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 a stir in our heart to, to rejoice, to express that. And, and then there's this little voice that says, or if anybody's looking, I better not raise my hand during that song, or I better not say amen too loud. No, friends, the Bible sees us as a whole person and I want you to be free to express your emotions here as David did. The Psalms here show us that we express them and one of the ways we express them correctly is expressing them to God and taking them to Him. The emotion that's expressed here this morning is emotion of anxiety. Anxiety is based in fear, but anxiety is abiding. You might wonder, what's the difference between fear and anxiety? And uh, last week, we were coming home from church. Um, we're heading down Route 17, and you go by Route 17, and all you who go to Route 17 are parked on the other side of the road. Because there's hardly any parking, right? And that comes spring. And so people walk across the road to go to the restaurant. It's horrible. It's awful. Um, and as we were coming down the hill where you would turn into the Thompson Community Center on Route 17 and looked ahead, I saw this man start to walk across Route 17 from Come Spring to his car. And I was like, he's walking a little slow, and I'm going 45, 50. Maybe my wife would say I was going a little faster. Um, and, and I thought, okay. And it was like he didn't even know that this was a road, that there were cars that were going 45, 50 miles an hour down the road, and he just was like walking along. And it's like, sure, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna speed up. He's got to speed up. He's got to speed up as I'm getting closer. And then all of a sudden he notices he's like, kind of shuffles quicker to his car. And my wife's like, Jamie, what are you doing? I was like, I thought he was going to move. He, he just, I mean, nobody can walk that carelessly in the middle of Route 17. And he didn't even like so his his car his 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 car was right here and he could have like walked like this is the front of his car but he stood here by his door and just went like this instead like guy come on um, I can't imagine the things that might have gone through said I I assume there was some kind of fear eventually that may have registered in his mind here. Fear should motivate you to action, right? If that was you, how would you respond, right? If you were that guy. Whoa, you know, you're hurrying across the street, right? It motivates you to a quick, uh, uh, quick action here. <clears throat> um, let me give you an, another example here. On a balmy January Saturday morning in Hawaii, there was an alert warning of a nuclear doom that was erroneously sent to millions of people across the state of Hawaii. And this is what your phones would have said in your text messages in Hawaii. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. All capital letters. That's the exact message that was sent. Those words flashed on cell phones were sounded through radio stations, television stations across the state. And the result was because 
of an irresponsible employee of the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency who selected the wrong option on a text-based drop-down menu and then hit the button to send. The agency issued a correction eventually. Residents and tourists, Hawaiian natives, I had a friend in Guam who posted about on Facebook almost immediately. It's like, what's going on here? They were tracking what they thought was an impending disaster on their, um, on their island. It took 38 minutes, by the way, for the government to re- retract that. Say, so, you know, it was okay, we made a mistake. Someone, one of, the, one of the representatives from Hawaii said, if it was a mistake and someone pushed a button, they shouldn't have pushed, then why the 38-minute delay, and why don't we have a better uh, system set up? An employee who made the mistake has expressed profound regret. Imagine being that guy. That was fear that motivated you to action, right? Now here's the difference between fear and anxiety. Anxiety says, what if that were true? Or anxiety is the guy who almost gets hit by the car and fear quickly motivates him to move and he thinks about, wow, life is short. And he begins to think about the things in his life and the, uh, that he faces and things that need to be set in order, etc. Here, You see, anxiety is kind of ambiguous. It's, it's, it's more of a cloud. It's, 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 it's harder to define, and it's an abiding presence. And it's hard to put words to it, but if you've had anxiety, you know exactly what I'm talking to. And by the way, our society today, particularly in America, is the most anxious society. Filled with anxiety. Filled with anxiety. Um, it's, it's, it's thinking about something all day, uh, uh, avoiding it. It's, it's, and, and, and while fear motivates you to action... Anxiety paralyzes. It paralyzes. Um, think of it. Think of fear as a thunderstorm. Thunderstorm comes through, crash, bang, right? And the sun's out. And you get some. Uh, you get some green grass. Anxiety is more like where I live in Oregon, where from September to April it was a cloudy, cold drizzle, and mildew grows. Not nice green grass. Eventually, the green grass comes. But it's, 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 your, your mind is always on. It's always going. Anxiety is, is, is exhausting. And that's where David here is. Sure, he's had fear, right? He's had some really specific concrete things that have happened to him. But then this is, there's this constant fear, this anxiety that is, that is plaguing his soul. And so what does he do? Well, first thing I want you to notice this morning, point number one, is he describes the problem honestly. He describes the problem honestly. And friends, whatever your anxiety is, you need, to, you need to be explicit. You need to describe that problem honestly. Why? Because our God listens. Our God listens. He says in, in verse 3, Yahweh, our Lord, Yahweh, that's God's personal name here. Uh, he says, how many are they that rise up against me? How many are those that are rising against me? And you notice an escalation here a little bit in his, in his description here of his situation. There's many, so they're, they're, it's more than one united against him. Uh, they are enemies, they're multiplying. And in verse 2, many there be which say of my soul there is no help for him in God. Selah. There are skeptics. And these skeptics aren't shrinking. They are being emboldened. They are multiplying. And they are shrinking him and his soul here. 
And he is surrounded, he is hemmed in by many full, uh, foes here. There's different words used to describe enemies. And most common means the one who hates me. That's not the term that's used here. Instead, it's the word oppressor. And it has the idea here of constriction. Constriction. I don't know about you, but one of the things I hated was having somebody bigger sitting on top of me as a kid. Or having a pillow over my head with somebody holding the pillow down, right? I don't know that never happened to anybody. Um, constriction, being squeezed, right? Tight places. I remember going to New Hampshire to the Lost River, and there was this one place along the Lost River uh, Park where it was called the Lemon Squeeze, and not everybody could fit through there. And they had specific requirements of how big you could be and how small you still needed to be in order to fit through this carved out um, tunnel in the rocks in New Hampshire. Here, uh, This is the picture here of, of how David feels here. Um, there's, a, there's a constriction here. His enemies might be pressing closer. He's hiding out. It's, it's like being inside the anaconda, right? The boa constrictor. And the cores are, are drawing tighter, cutting off escape, crushing life. And if you've been in anxiety, some of you can say, that's how it feels. That's how it feels. Like, I can't even breathe. The anxiety that you feel. And David is describing the promise honestly. He's not doing this. He's not saying, Lord, I know I shouldn't feel this way. What he is doing is describing his his problem honestly because he knows the Lord is listening. You say, is that right to do? Listen, bringing your feelings to the Lord and describing them is always right to do. It's always right to do as long as you're going to listen to what he says in response to it. Um, Jesus is better than a... The Lord is better than a human father. We get tired of listening to people's problems. God's ear is always inclined to us. You say, this is... This just seems like part of me, anxiety, etc., because I'm a sinful, flawed person. And there might be an aspect in your anxiety where that's true. But let me remind you, the night before Jesus was crucified, what was Jesus doing? He was praying. He was pouring out His heart to the Lord. And He was sweating. Why was He sweating? Because it was hot there in that Mediterranean evening? I don't think so. The Bible says He sweat as it were drops of blood. Do you think there was some human in the humanity here of Jesus that there was some some of this there? So that could be true of Jesus. He knew the future. He knew what happened. He would rise again. Listen, this is this is this is this is part of what it means to live in a broken world. Jesus wasn't sweating drops of blood because he needed someone to fan him. There was an anguish of the soul in Jesus. And as he is sweating these drops of blood, he is speaking to his Father in real and raw and honest terms. He is expressing his feelings to God. Now look how, what the psalmist is saying. How many there, uh, those who are saying to my soul, there's no salvation. There's no help for him in God. 
They're saying to my soul here, he's using a word in the Hebrew that speaks of a person at their deepest level. And he's saying people are trying to exercise influence and control over me at my deepest level. My enemies are rushing together to snuff out uh, uh, my life. I am naked. I am vulnerable to their attacks. And they're saying God will not deliver him. And what does he do? What does he do? Verse 3. But you, O Lord, Yahweh. Yahweh would be the equivalent today of saying Abba Father. It was a very personal name for God. Very personal name for God. The Father of Israel, the Father of David, God Himself as Father. And, and, and David is saying, But you, you, is what he's saying. You, O oh Lord, you, in contrast to what I'm experiencing. And so the second thing I want you to see this morning is if the first is describe your anxiety, your problem, honestly because he listens, is secondly, describe your father honestly. Who he is. What he's about. What he can do. What he has done. Why? Because he protects. He protects. Look how David describes his father. Thou, you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of my head. You, Yahweh. There's a couple different shields if you were in Israel. There was a small one that you would put on your arm, right? And you would use your sword to fight with. And then there was one that was bigger, and it would be more around you. And the way that one would be used is only if you were going forward. Uh, If you were going backward, the shield wouldn't work. You had to be going forward toward the fight, toward the enemy here. And it seems to be that's the picture that the Lord is, is, is giving through David here. That God is a shield. And notice how the shield is described. You are a shield for me. The word in Hebrew is actually around me. This is a 360 degree shield. 360 degree shield. But friends, when do you need a shield? When you're in battle, right? When you're in, in, in the presence of the enemy here. And, 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 and you're not away from the battle, but shields are only useful when you are in the battle. They take place in the battle. And he's saying, you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You protect me. And then he says, you're my glory and you're the one who lifts up my head. Now, what would David be referring to when he describes the Lord as a shield? I want you to put your finger in here and I want you to go to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. You remember I told you that um, the first book of the Psalms, chapter 1 through 41, uh, many of them uh, mirror uh, some of the content of the books of Genesis. So I want you to see this concept in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. Now the Lord has spoken to Abraham and said, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And Abraham begins to wonder. And look what chapter 15 verse 1 says. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying what? Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. What do shields do? They protect. I am your protector. 
I am your shield. What David wants us to understand in Psalm 3 is the same God who is the personal God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is David's God. He's our God. And what happens in Genesis chapter 15 is Abraham is getting to wonder. He's fearful. You said this, but I'm getting older. What's going on here? You said you're going to make uh, me as the, as the, as the, as the um, sands of the sea and the stars, but I don't have anybody born in my house who's a descendant of me. Verse 6 says, God confirms it. Verse 6 says, Abram believed in the Lord and he counted it for righteousness. And the Lord does something extra for him. He makes a covenant with Abraham, an unconditional covenant that this will happen. And what he does is what happens in those days is they would uh, two parties would would take uh, take some animals and they would lay them they would kill those animals and then they would lay them in a line and uh, they they would uh, they would literally cut those animals in half half on this side half on this side and make kind of a trail a path and as the blood would flow out of those animals each one of the parties uh, in, in a covenant would walk through walk through that trail of blood and and so and, and in essence say so shall be done to me if I do not keep my part of the covenant my part of the agreement here both both uh, people making the agreement and so there in verse 9 they take these in verse 10 they cut them together and they cut them up and they set up what would have been a, a customary covenant and verse 12 says this and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he, God, said to Abram, Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years, etc. I'm going to do what I said. And then verse 17, And it came to pass that when the sun went down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace, a lamp, and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Now, where's Abraham? He's asleep. He's not doing his part of the agreement. He fell asleep. God put him in a sleep. But there is this light that is passing through this trail of blood. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, My friends, what David is being reminded of in Psalm chapter 3 is that one who said he would do what Abram didn't do. That one who said he would fulfill what he said we would do. The one who said, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. That's my God. And he begins to describe who his father is because his father protects. And David knows that his father will be his shield. His father will be his glory. David's glory had been stripped of. It was gone. Uh, His honor was gone. And friends, anytime we place our glory and our identity in our present circumstances or uh, people's approval or our positions or whatever it is, some, anything that's finite, that's not going to last for eternity, that can be taken away very quickly. And you find that out very quickly, don't you? But David says, you are my glory. Because you are where permanent glory is. You're not finite, you're infinite. You're my glory. The word means uh, uh, my glorious one. And the word literally means you're the heaviness. You're the weightiness. There's some weight to you. There's some confidence, there's confidence that can be put in you because your glory is greater than any human power. Who you are and who you revealed yourself to be, 
you are the one who is my glory, or I will rest in, or I will find my identity, my worth. Not finite things. And then he says, you're the one who lifts up my head. To lift up your head means uh, is the idea of dignity, uh, of being accepted, of, of honor being restored, being restored to position. Uh, Pharaoh told Joseph in Genesis 40:13, uh, when he uh, gives Joseph a position, he's going to say, "I'm going to lift up your head here." And here David is talking about being restored to honor, but he's more specifically talking about being embraced by God in personal relationship as God's as God's child. See, David's dignity had been stripped. You can read about this in 2 Samuel 15, verse 30. And so David says, With my voice to Yahweh, with my voice to the Lord, I kept crying, and He answered me from Zion, the hill of His holiness. He answered me. In verse 4, He heard me out of His holy hill. I cried to the Lord with my voice. He put words to it. Aloud. Expressed. Expressed his situation expressed who God was and what did God do? God answered him from where? From the hill of His holiness. The hill of His holiness was Zion in Jerusalem. Well, who had taken over Jerusalem then? Absalom did. But who was still in charge? The Lord still in charge in the hill of His holiness. Absalom is a puppet king. The Lord is still in charge. Absalom has seized the hill. But remember what chapter 2, verse 6 of Psalm says? Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. The Lord's still king. He's still in charge. He's still in charge. So if you describe your circumstances, I want you to describe your father. Because who your father is puts your circumstances in perspective. And then after you see that, then thirdly, depend on your father's protection because he works on your behalf. Depend on your father's protection. He works. Look at David writes, I laid me down and slept. I awakened, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten or hit all my enemies upon the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people, Selah. When you lay down in sleep, you're giving up your will, aren't you? You're giving up control over your protection. You're surrendering. And David, the idea of the Hebrew, when he says, I lay down and slept, he's, it's, it's, as for me, imagine me, even me, in my condition, in my situation, I lay down and I slept. David's surprised by it. He's surprised by it. I'm getting good sleep. Why? I laid me down and slept. I awakened. Why? For the Lord sustained me. Because David rested his head on the Lord as his pillow. I have one kid who always likes to cuddle. Jackson. And if you're sitting down on the couch or you're sitting down on the recliner, he comes to you and he says this, I want to hold you. Which is his way of saying, will you hold me? And so he comes up and he sits on you and he kind of takes over. But he puts his head on, 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 on your chest and he sucks his finger and he feels safe and secure. He feels safe and secure in that. 
the chest of his father is the rest for his head. And that's what David's saying in this verse. I laid me down and slept. I awakened for the Lord sustained me. And friends, I I want you to remember this and never forget this. The chest of your father is the rest for your head. Are you anxious? Is there an abiding sense of dread or fear? It's even hard to put into words. Don't ever forget this. The chest of your father is the rest for your head. Look at the result when he understands that. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. He said they've increased in verse 1. Many arise. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. The very thing that they said God couldn't do in verse 1. There's no help for Him in God. God does. pastor tells the following story about a woman he knew who showed up at church and she would always pray the same simple prayer. Oh Lord, thank You Jesus. She prayed that prayer, simple prayer, week after week. It didn't even sound like a prayer. It sounded like the beginning of a prayer. And the kids at church would start laughing at her every time she would open her mouth because they knew it would be the same prayer. Oh Lord, thank You Jesus. And somebody asked her, why do you pray the same little prayer? She said, well... I'm just combining the two prayers that I know. We live in a bad neighborhood. There's some bullets flying some nights. And I have to grab my daughter and hide on the floor. And in that desperate state, all I know to cry out is, Oh Lord! And when I wake up in the morning and I see that that we're okay, I say, Thank you, Jesus. And when i got to take away my baby to the bus stop and she gets on that bus and I don't know what's going to happen to her while she's away, I cry, Oh Lord! And 3 p.m. comes and that bus arrives and brings my baby home and she's safe. I say, thank you, Jesus. She said, those are the only two prayers I know. And when I get to church, God has been so good, I just put my two prayers together. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. And that's kind of what David here is saying. Oh, Lord, and thank you, Jesus. Lord, this is my situation. This is who you are. Thank you for what you're going to do. And thank you for doing it. In fact, the words that are used here in verse 7, you've smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone, you've broken the teeth of the godly. As David is writing this, it hadn't happened yet. And he's saying, you have done this. That's striking them on the cheek. That's, that's something that would be disgrace, like, like slapping somebody on the cheek. And, and the Lord will rebuke, He will disgrace His enemies. And then uh, 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 breaking the teeth of the ungodly there is the idea of here they seem like ferocious lions with their teeth uh, uh, bared at David here. And God goes with those lion mouths open and He goes, pulls out the teeth. They're toothless lions. They're disarmed. They're disarmed. And so David says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. To Yahweh belongs salvation. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. As I close, I want you to understand this. That last verse tells us that is not just David's psalm. That is my psalm. Your blessing is upon your people. And as David writes this through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, 
He wants this psalm to be wound deeper into our hearts. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Friends, make this psalm your own. In your anxiety, in your worries, in your fears, make this psalm your own. Describe your situation to God and be explicit. Be honest. Be transparent. Be clear. Be clear. Describe the, uh, the Lord to yourself. Give praise to Him. Who is He? What is He about? What has He done? How has He revealed Himself? How is He working for your goodness? And then trust, depend on that, because He protects. He protects. You might say, well, I know these truths to be sure, and I know them to be true, but how does this relate to me on the other side of the cross? And I want to encourage you with this. This is very clear to us who are on the other side of the cross, isn't it? That the God who gave the victory to David and the blessing to His people in this particular circumstance, for this audience this was written to, it's been extended to us. And God has confirmed His love in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ identified with David's suffering, didn't He? The spies rejected of men and crucified, ashamed, alone on the cross and emerged victorious. And one day at Calvary, that sky became dark. And Jesus Christ on the cross was torn apart like those animals in Genesis chapter 15 as a pledge of God's faithfulness. And the Son of God gave Himself to be torn apart by His enemies and He staked the promise to you and me upon His torn body and His shed blood that has splashed over our sin. Our worry, our brokenness for your forgiveness, for your security, for your acceptance in Him. And He has given you Ephesians 1 says, spiritual blessings beyond measuring that have been pronounced and are your possession. And through Jesus, God has extended deliverance, victory, and blessing to all who believe on His name. The Word of God tells us that in Christ, you are seated with Him in the heavenlies to reign over His enemies through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? The power of the Holy Spirit over sin and death and through the authority of the Son of God who He says is with you to the end of the age. And Paul put it this way in Romans 8, If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing will separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Describe your circumstances honestly. Describe your Father honestly. Depend upon your Father wholly, totally. Upon His people belongs blessing for the sacrifice of our risen conquering King. Let's pray. We'll sing and take the Lord's Supper.